Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke. I invite you to turn there, Luke chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 14 through 30. Luke 4, 14 through 30. Jesus has embarked upon his ministry And the first part of that ministry, Luke doesn't record for us. He gives us a summary statement, which we find at verse 14. And then he comes back to his hometown, starting at verse 14. Jesus, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. For what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Thus God's holy word to us, may he bless that word to us. Interesting passage. Accepting Jesus, rejecting Jesus. Cool Jesus, lousy Jesus. I'm for you, Jesus. I'm against you, Jesus. 
I guess that gets to the bottom of things, acceptance and rejection, favor and fury, loving Jesus, hating Jesus. Not much has changed in the world. It's a question everyone needs to face. What Jesus do you accept? Do you accept Jesus? Do, do you accept Jesus? And you say, well, <laughs> silly question. That's why I'm in church. Of course I accept Jesus. I'm pro-Jesus. <laughs> Good one for Jesus. We're, we're in it with Jesus. We love Jesus. That's why we're in church. We confess him. We recite the Apostles' Creed. We sing to him. We've been doing it this morning. We offer our prayers to him. Of course, I accept Jesus. But then the people in Nazareth in worship on the Sabbath day, in synagogue worship, thought they favored Jesus until he preached a message that exposed their hearts. It's important for us to look at those big questions because it's sort of the worldwide question. It's sort of when the books are opened question. And there's the great white throne judgment, right? Accepting Jesus or rejecting Jesus, favoring him, furious with him, loving him, hating him. Even churches that have lost the gospel of Jesus Christ will still try to hold on to Jesus, a moral Jesus, an example Jesus, a social cause Jesus, left or right. Be nice to one another Jesus, a kind of Sunday school Jesus. Meet my needs Jesus, Help me, Jesus. Make me rich, Jesus. Miracle, Jesus. Impress us, Jesus. Wow us, Jesus. Entertain us, Jesus. Fix us, Jesus. Amaze us, Jesus. Emergency, Jesus. Only when I need you and I can't figure it out myself. Well, okay, finally now, Jesus. So it's really significant what we find here in Luke 4 is Luke's going to talk about Jesus finally embarking upon the ministry. Up to this point, we get the temptations, but in a way he sort of skips a year. Many scholars think John, big chunk of John 1, 2, 3, and 4 cover turf that that Luke summarizes, and he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. He'd easily spend a chapter or two telling us what all that was. He doesn't. But you get the point, obviously, right? It's pretty clear that Jesus was out and about performing miracles, teaching and preaching in their synagogues, healing people, helping people, showing them the truth, and everyone praised him. One commentator calls it the Galilean springtime. But you come to Nazareth, his hometown, home turf, home people, home boy, 
and it becomes a Nazarene winter. Things don't turn out the way you'd expect. It's kind of a half-baked acceptance turned to murderous rejection. What Jesus do you accept? Which one? What conception of him? So this morning, in answering this question, the outline's real simple. There's scripture. There's a scripture in here. He reads from scripture. And then he has a sermon on it. So point two, sermon. Complete with illustration. And then point three, real simple stuff. Response. So you also get scripture and sermon. And you're invited to a response. What will be yours and mine? Now, he went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. Born in Bethlehem, brought up in Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Oh, yeah. Look at our guy. Look at this Jesus. Look at the guy who's been impressing everyone in all the towns in Galilee. Look at the one performing miracles and preaching this good news hither and thither. Look, look at him. Homeboy makes good. And so it's Sabbath. As his custom, he goes to worship in the synagogue, the building where there's the gathering. Synagogue literally means assembly or gathering, the gathering place for singing, prayer, and sermon. That's what it was. And we know from early document around this time called the Mishnah, which gives us something of a uh, church polity for that, that, for the Jewish people at that time, we learn about synagogue worship. First synagogue worship began with singing of psalms, particularly Psalm 145 through 150. Then after that, there would be the recitation, a confession of the Shema which were three different passages in the Old Testament, but we know it is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one God, the Lord is one. The Shema. And some verses that followed from that. Then after that came the 18 benedictions, known as the Tefillah. And these were recited aloud, benedictions, beatitudes, blessings. Then came scripture time, scripture reading. They didn't have printed Bibles the way we know it, but they had scrolls of various books of the Old Testament. And these were kept in an ark, a cabinet of sorts. And the attendant, the officer of the synagogue, he would take out first, there would be the reading of the law from the five books of Moses, the opening books of the Bible. And this would be unrolled and be read. And then the chosen exhorter, preacher of the day, would also uh, be given next the prophets. And of course he could preach from either one, but the prophets would then be read. And then would come a sermon, and the service would close with the blessing of Aaron, the ironic blessing 
but the people would pronounce an amen after each phrase. The Lord bless you and keep you. Amen. Amen. May his face shine upon you. Amen. And the service would be concluded. Now that's what's happening here in Jesus' hometown. Except he had been the one asked to speak a word. And given his reputation and his teaching and all, he's designated such. And either it was a sign, likely Jesus asked them to unroll the scroll to Isaiah 61 and then to 58, because that's where he reads from. He reads a portion of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me, Messiahed me. The word anointed is the Christ word, the Messiah word. I'm the Messiah one. To preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's. Favor, which is a combination, as I said, from Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58, verse 6. Though the people are attentive to what Jesus reads, and then the scroll would be rolled back up, put in its cloth case, and then returned to the cabinet. Jesus then sits down. When I was a little boy, I always thought, okay, he goes sit in the front bench or something, and everyone's like, what's going on? But that's not what's going on. What's going on is everyone stood for the reading, and then the teacher, the preacher, would sit in the teacher-preacher's chair and speak ex cathedra from the chair. It's literally what that means. So instead of standing behind a pulpit, he sat in a chair to discourse. That's why all eyes are fixed on him. He stood behind the pulpit, and they're all waiting. What is he going to say? We're ready for sermon now. He opens his mouth. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Come again. What? The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Anointed me to proclaim four things. Preach good news to the poor. Proclaim freedom for the prisoner. There's four categories of people here. The poor, the prisoner. Recovery of sight for the blind. Release the oppressed. Because it's the year, it's not a calendar year. It's the season, it's the time. It's the fulfillment of promised blessing is upon you now. We've entered this epoch of this favor of God through Messiah, anointed one. Fulfilled in your hearing. That's how the sermon begins. Scripture, sermon, fulfilled in your hearing. Now, 
There's poor people, prisoners, blind, oppressed. Each one of these can be taken literally as physically, financially poor. And also it has a wider kind of extension. You can be poor than merely physically or financially. Yes, you could live in a ramshackle adobe-style hut and have little income and no property, and you're poor. You're so poor you can't even do much to violence to anyone else because you don't have the strength or energy to even be a good criminal. You're poor. You're uneducated. You don't have prospects. There isn't a happy tomorrow. Poor. Often those same sort of poor people are humble people, broken people, spiritually hungering people, desperate people, praying people. I preach good news to them. Good news, gospels on the way for them. There's also prisoners. The, the, the word prisoner here is more like war prisoners, captives of war. Not so much dangerous criminals behind bars, but prisoners there because an evil enemy has put them there. And I come to bring freedom, to proclaim freedom for them. And, of course, the people of God in those days were under Roman boot. The, the Roman bondage, the tyrants who had the, the known world that really mattered, the educated world of commerce, that world was all totally under Roman control. And God's people, though returned from exile, had never found freedom from a foreign empire. Then there's recovery of sight for the blind. We know that Jesus' ministry literally heals blind people and gives strength to crippled legs and loosens tongues and all that. But we also know that blindness is debilitating as that is and how debilitating it would have been in those days. Recovery of sight for the blind. There's also spiritual blindness people that don't get it, people who don't understand, people who Paul could see with his eyes, but he was spiritually blind and sought to oppress and beat down the way, the truth of the gospel. And God, Jesus, shines a light into him to make him blind so that now, at least blind for a time, so that now he sees. And then he has this commission, Acts 26, I'm sending you to open their eyes, this is how Paul reports it, to open their eyes, uh, to open their eyes, not physically blind, but spiritually blind, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I come to give sight to the blind. This is the season we're in now. Messiah is here. Blessings on the way. Good news, liberation, hope, 
a new beginning, a new future. And then there's the oppressed, the broken to pieces people, shattered lives, crushed souls, who don't know if they want to just live another day, pulverized personalities, shattered and squashed by life circumstances, and there seems no way out. Jesus comes, I am the one who comes to bring help and hope and liberation, release for all such oppressed people. And we know that people can be oppressed and broken in many, many kinds of ways. You know, people can be prisoners, not only physically, but People can be in bondage to money, bondage to Satan, bondage to hate, to a grudge. They just can't get past it. People can be in bondage to uh, sensuality and sex, as if that's not a problem in the modern world in the Internet age. People can be in bondage to drugs or alcohol or shopping or even attention or having control. They're in prisons, and they need release and liberation. And people can be so blind to the truth, and the blind following the blind into darkness and destruction. And that blindness leads to much of this imprisonment and bondage, and often falls out also in being crushed. Life seems like it has no happy ending or new beginning. Jesus comes to the, the gathered souls at the synagogue in Nazareth. Messiah is here. The scriptures fulfilled. Helps on the way. Blessing onward march. And they're thinking, this is, uh, who's this guy again? Oh, yeah, this is Joseph's son. I remember Jesus. Remember Jesus? He lived around the corner over there. His dad was the car. Oh, I remember Jesus, sure. Yeah, in fact, he, he helped out, helped us build that new fence. And, uh, yeah, I remember Jesus. Sermon? Where's the miracles? Where's the impressive stuff? Where's the woo and the wow? And so how does Jesus continue his sermon? They marveled at the gracious words coming from his mouth. They marveled. Wow, this is great. And this is Joseph's son. And Jesus knows how shallow the praise is. How superficial, pro-Jesus, accept Jesus, yes, Jesus, wow with Jesus. And that's why he says, doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. <laughs> you, you get the accusation in that? Before you say there's something wrong with me, have you seen what's wrong with you? You go to the doctor. Are you a smoker? Well, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, I, I, I smoke. And the doctor is like, you got to stop that. <laughs> you got to quit that smoking, that'll kill you, you know? And you're like, physician, <laughs> heal yourself. What are you telling me? You're sitting there smoking in front of me, telling me not to smoke. Look at yourself. You go to the dentist, and he smiles at you, and he's missing teeth, and his he has cavities, and this is a yikes. You know, you need to take care of your teeth. Do you floss? You better get an electric toothbrush, and you know, here, dentist, fix yourself. Jesus, you're just Joseph's son, right? You'll say to me, if you get who I am and what I come to do, doubtless you'll quote to me a proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we heard you did at Capernaum, wild, marvelous miracles, do here in your hometown as well. There has to be proof in the pudding. I guess that phrase comes back when you had to cook pudding and none of this jello instant stuff. And I don't know. But whatever the phrase, you get the point. Show me. Show us. Prove it. That's very different than humbly. Brokenly, sorrowfully, longingly, achingly, reaching out in faith and praising God, finally. Wait a minute. Hold on. Slow down. Show me. What you know why we know that's exactly how they respond were responding? Because of his sermon illustrations. His sermon continues with two biblical sermon illustrations. He said, Truly a prophet isn't acceptable in his hometown. That's always the worst, by the way, for the young seminarian to get licensed and so forth, and then have to return home. Well, I remember what you did in high school, and oh, the scandal of it. I remember that you weren't very good at algebra. I remember, you know, and you're a preacher. Oh. Yeah. We have long memories. Good thing he serves over there where no one ever knew him. It's often that way. God knows us all the time, through and through, and God forgives and makes straight and makes well and brings new beginnings. So what does Jesus do? He said, in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, all kinds of widows. And of course, you know, Elijah spoke those words, neither do nor reign for these years except by my word. And so for three and a half years, there was neither, there was severe drought and misery and suffering and death throughout the land. 
The word of the Lord is taken away from the land, out of the land, and the only word left there was a word of doom. Accept the word, come back and bring release. And what does he say? There was many widows, but what happens? When the famine came, Elijah was sent to none of them, none of the covenant widows, the suffering covenant people, but only in Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, way up there, Gentile turf, to a woman who was a widow. So you remember the story. She was there gathering sticks. She had a little bit of oil and flour left. She was gathering sticks to make one last meal for herself and her son and then die. This is it for us. And Elijah says, I tell you what, you you go make me some food with what you have. And he had promised, and your oil and flour, all all this time shall not run out. What she didn't do is, I'm not weak and poor and burdened and, and humble. No, show me first. Prove it. She acted in humble need and trust and gratitude and fell into God's arms through his prophet and did what she was told. And indeed, she and her son with the prophet were preserved those three and a half years. The flour and the oil neither ran out. Then, if that has the people simmering, blessings for the them, not the us. Blessings for the outsider, not the insider. The non-covenant versus in the covenant. Blessings for those who don't know God versus those who know God. What? Blessings for people who are blind and stupid and estranged and not the enlightened ones like us. What? And then he only adds fuel to the fire. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed but only Naaman, the Syrian. Oh boy. This is getting worse. You remember Naaman the Syrian. He was the general of the Syrian army, a man of status, of class, of clout, a mover, a shaker, but he has leprosy. And the king of Syria says, go down into Israel and see the prophet there to be healed. Meanwhile, the king of Israel is like, whoa, 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 wait. Uh, Are these war plans? And the prophet has to say, don't worry about it. So he comes, Naaman comes with his leprosy, his brokenness, his desperation. With all of his status and might and money, he can't heal himself. So he comes to see a prophet in a foreign land to get healed And what Elisha does is he sends out some servants and tells him to go wash in the Jordan seven times. 
You know, he, he doesn't even go out to greet him. He doesn't welcome him as this man of stature and status and importance. He doesn't put out a feast for him. And then he doesn't himself perform some ritual to uh, make it take. Nah, you just go over to our Jordan and you dip yourself seven times. And he's just, he's furious. How dare I be treated this way? How dare I? He's just, he's just beside himself. But he goes off in a huff, but his servants say, you know, if you'd been told to do something really hard, you, you would have done that. But now you have to do something really simple. You know, I think you need a little humility here, you think? You think you need to recognize that you're poor and blind? You're in imprisonment of disease? You need release? You're crushed by something that's going to dismantle your life? And so he does what he's told in this Gentile, a kind of enemy to God's people, None of the lepers in Israel get healed, but that one over there does. They have had it. Service is disrupted. They come unglued. Forget the ironic blessing. Forget the end of the sermon. They come together. They bring Jesus to the brow of the the hill of the cliff upon which the, the town was built to toss him off, but God allows him to pass through unharmed. Now, what's the point here? Why would they be so furious about all of this? Well, it requires... You can call it the application, the response... You see their response. It's unbelief. What Jesus do you accept? Not that one. What Jesus do you accept? One who says he's merciful to them? Not that one. I don't accept that one. What Jesus do you accept? Wow us Jesus? Impress us Jesus? Miracle us Jesus? No. Emergency Jesus? Stay out of my life, stay out of my hair. Just stay out until I'm desperate and I'm in humble prayer. And Lord, oh, now I do pray and now I do care and now I do believe and now I do repent. Now I do. I accept, stay out of my life, Jesus, until I need you, Jesus. What Jesus do you accept? How about a Jesus that comes to you and says, you're poor, and you're imprisoned, and you're blind, and you're crushed? Who, me? Them, yeah. They're blind. They're in the imprisonment of sin, of course. Me? (laughs) I'm up here. They're down here. Yeah, that's how the Nazarenes thought, too. Oh, sure, we're under the Roman boot, but we're God's people. We matter. We count. We're in worship. You know, we're it. They're not. You know what these people weren't? They weren't poor in spirit, even though they were somewhat physically poor. They 
were in a kind of prison. They were under a kind of bondage of the Romans, but they didn't see the sin bondage they were in, the pride bondage they were in, the self-righteous bondage they were in. They could see with their eyes, but they were blind to their need, blind to the good message that had come to them. Their ears were stopped up. Eh, Jesus, you're the answer, you're the way, the truth, the life, the Messiah, the epoch of blessing. Preach to yourself. Fix yourself. You're just Joseph's kid. We remember. You've got to at least prove it. Impress us. They didn't act like the widow of Zarephath or even the big shot general of Syria. They weren't crushed. They weren't burdened and heavy laden. And so they would reject Jesus after accepting Jesus. Furious with Jesus after favoring Jesus. No longer fine with Jesus, but in a rage with Jesus. It really asks us for a response to They cast out Jesus after inviting him in. And it's important that we see ourselves that we need to accept the Jesus, embrace the Jesus, love the Jesus, believe the Jesus who brings himself to us here. It's not a Sunday school Jesus, make me moral because the world isn't there, I'm moral, it's not. Jesus didn't come into the world merely to make us moral. Hopefully, filled with the Spirit, become moral and have people of character and will God's will, but we need a lot more help than that. Nor is he an emergency Jesus. I know you don't need me most of the time, but when you do, I'm here to go for you, the gopher Jesus. Or a miracle, Jesus. Advantage us, Jesus. Make us rich, Jesus. Make us successful, Jesus. But let us stay the way we are. We accept you on our terms. We'll trim and cut and clip and fit you into our lives comfortably. Be a comfortable, Jesus. That's not who he is. He comes pointing a finger a favor to people who know poverty and blindness and imprisonment and oppression. If you can't identify with that, I'll just say it bluntly, you can't accept Jesus, the Jesus who is, who comes, who's Messiah. He doesn't come for people who think they're rich toward God. And they're just fine. He doesn't come for people who think they're fine and dandy and they have life by the tail. He doesn't come for people who look down their nose at the rest of the planet. And of course, I'm loved by God. I'm lovable. And they're not because they're not. He doesn't come for that. He doesn't come for people who think they need him only in a pinch. 
He comes to bring favor because what we need is good news for our situation. Instead of them, us is them. We're widows who are down to our last little bit of oil and flour. And Lord, I trust you to provide. We're rich people that have a disease eating our body up and we can't do anything about it. Except God can do something about it. And now you look in your own life. You're not a habitual repeat offender sinner. What sins have you been repenting of your whole life? And you're still repenting because you still haven't conquered because you're still weak and imprisoned and blind and needy and you don't need an assistant to get you to glory. You need the Savior. That's all of us. That's every one of us. Elders know, pastors know, Because parishioners come and talk about their addictions and their scandalous sins and their private sins and their hurts and the hurtful things in families and parenting and children and grandchildren and moral failures and faith failures. And no, those things aren't to be paraded around the whole body of Christ, but they're there. We need each other, humble, weak, poor, but a rich Jesus, Messiah, favor, good news, forgiveness, help, hope, ever new beginnings, ever cleansed from sins, fresh and new each day. Not once upon a time ago, I was real serious, I was real repentant, I got Jesus, and now I don't need to be serious or repentant anymore. Oh. Each and every day. Trusting him. Turning to him. Hoping in him. Rejoicing in him. Staying in the service to hear more. Yes, more. Give us the good news, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Heal us, Jesus. Forgive us, Jesus. Die for us, Jesus. Rise again, Jesus. Conquer the devil, Jesus. Kingdom come, Jesus. That Jesus. Lord, I'm not acceptable to you, but you accept me. Lord, I embrace you because I'm in your embrace. That, Jesus. Amen. Lord, help us, heal us with your good word to us. Grant this to us. May we meditate upon that. Find hope in that. Healing, new beginning, each day, for Jesus' sake.